Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can your diet affect what kind of dreams you have? Did the media exaggerate the Bridgeport poltergeist of 1974? What does Shane mean when he says that people, not places, are haunted? Hello and welcome to the 695th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 uh, Radio, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. I'm Ben, and those varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad, Paul. Today we welcome, uh, I should say, we bring you an open line show to tackle your questions about any aspect of the paranormal. Uh, with profound insights uh, invited, uh, if you'd like to call in, and the number uh, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, uh, or you can write uh, to me or to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com if you'd like to send an email. And today we are happy to welcome back, happy to welcome back our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway. Hello, hello. hello. Yeah, happy uh, and healthy. Yes, <laughs> indeed. So before right. we go to our listener questions, Shane, you've had an, an interesting series of experiences lately. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So um, last Thursday, well, first of all, that last year, I don't know, I've talked about this on the show before, uh, last September there was some UFO sightings in, um, in my town and also that one town over, very credible, one by a retired uh, police officer. Um, other things have been... Your ha- town being in southern New Hampshire. Yeah, southern New Hampshire, and um, and uh, also in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, too, one town over for me. Um, but <clears throat> other strange things have been happening around my property, um, but last Thursday night... I got up, it was about 2.30 in the morning, um, and I went into my master bath, and uh, and um, I'm facing my window, which is behind my toilet, and I was I didn't have the light on, I don't use the light at night because I don't want to wake up my wife, so I noticed something in my backyard in the clearing, um, and and I, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, there's a face staring at me, um, you know, had its head cocked up, looking right up uh, towards, I was in the, on the second floor, Staring right at me, <clears throat> dark black eyes, uh, saw the nose, the face, kind of a real oval oval head, uh, but otherwise skin flesh tones like, like us, you know, uh, wasn't gray or, or green or nothing weird, you know, um, looked very human, but I mean, it wasn't an animal, it, it looked human-like, but it was very bizarre, and, and it just left a weird feeling, um, I don't, I'm, I don't get fearful of anything, but, um, no, you don't. I've been on the, I've been in the field with you, and <laughs> you know, no, nothing scares you. No, was wasn't afraid, but it, it just, I, I knew it just felt like what I'm looking at is not normal, not normal at all. And and um, you know, I figured if I got up and went outside, you know, it's gonna as soon as that door opens, it's gonna it's gonna take off or whatever. Um, which I should have thought I could have snuck out the front door and and, and he- headed around the back. Um, but anyway, so <clears throat> um, I, I looked at it for a while. It even turned its head side to side and then looked back up at me, and I and it just stared right at me. I don't know if it saw me because I, I had the lights out, you know. Um, but it's it's almost like it was. It was staring. I don't know how it would have saw me, you know. But um, so anyway, um, I set out some trail cams uh, Friday night, and. Um, didn't get really anything significant. There was like a weird zigzag light pattern. Um, could been could have been a bug or anything. But then uh, last night I, I set them out again, and 
it took a bunch of photos, um, and but there were probably about six or seven with a series of kind of like rounded lights above my house, and they move from the left part of the frame, and they move over a little bit more with each one until they're directly hovering above my house. And, and you, you showed us those pictures this morning when you came into the studio. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we all came was, in a little early. That was really, that was interesting. All those, all those lights, too. All the lights were, like, you know, equidistant. Yes. So it was just, there's no way that it was bugs. Right. Plus, I know, I've, I've had some... Not super duper similar experiences, but my father can attest to this. That when I was yeah. when I was younger, around this time of year, because we only had air conditioning in like two parts of our house and not on the third floor where all the bedrooms were, so I would sleep in the living room occasionally. And I remember very vividly, usually around two or three o'clock at night, or sorry, early in the morning, I I would hear like like scratching coming from the window or like something poking it, and I was like, oh, it's got to be the bush or something. And so like I turn on the lights, look around, I'm like okay, I don't see anything. Turn off the lights and then. You hear the scratching again and like poking and all that stuff. So one day I just got so fed up with it because it happened over and over again for a good couple of weeks. And I was like, Dad, there's something weird going on. And I remember you, I went to work or something, and the next day you took a picture of um, of yeah. the ground outside of the of that window where I hear the scratching and the poking. And there was like a weird imprint that was like there were several weird weird footprints. Yeah, that under like, the window, and that like, window was not. Is is off? Uh, we have a big house, and the windows are high off the ground. Yeah, mm, so yes. it wasn't like uh, you know. So, but anyway, Shane, uh, when you were, let me ask you this: when you were in the bathroom having this first sighting, how far away would you say this face was from where you were? Um, I would say probably, gosh, uh, maybe thirty yards. Okay, maybe thirty yards. Yeah. Um, so you know, well within the range of uh, line of sight. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and what was strange was, I went out there the next morning, and I'm, I I stood right where it was, and when I was back there, I realized that that was the only spot you could stand with an unobstructed view of my bathroom window mm-hmm. and my downstairs slider, which yeah. we don't have blinds on. You could, you know, if you're out there, you can see right. Yeah, you're pretty much out in the middle of uh, nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very. <laughs> not nowhere. You want one or two neighbors within the shouting distance. Yeah, we have three neighbors, um, but we live, um, you know, very country setting, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, but you know, leading up to. To that, I mean, since we've moved in this house, it, we've had weird things. It's a it's a new house. House is only ten years old, um, but I've heard in the middle of the night. It's always you know between two and four in the morning. Um, I, uh, I'll wake up and I hear it, and, and it's funny because I, I never told anyone this. And 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 uh, well, anyway, so but it, it sounds like I can hear something crawl. It sounds like something literally crawling up my house. Right by, you know, I can hear it come from the floor, which I'm on the second floor, all the way up, up beyond my head through the the wall behind my head where where I lay my head at night when I sleep, and all the way up to the roof, and then I can hear running across my my roof. It's the weirdest thing, and um, I'm I'm in the process of installing cameras and, and uh, surveillance and stuff like that. Um, but that so that's going to happen. But um, my daughter house sat for me when we went to the Bahamas uh, the end of this past April. And, you know, I, I let her stay in my, my room and stuff <clears throat> while she was there. And she told me that her and her husband uh, heard something, and it sounded like something was crawling up the house right behind their head. And he now he's... Um, 
this guy, he isn't, I don't think he believes in any of this stuff, or he doesn't, he's not into it, I should say. Um, it, you know, he's into work, his children, his wife, and, and uh, you know, games and computers. Um, but he, he went outside to look to see what the heck was going on, you know. Um, and so we hear this quite a lot, and then it's always followed, like I said, with, you can hear like, running across my, right over my roof. It's the weirdest thing. Um, and I didn't. The reason why I didn't mention it to her or anyone else is because I thought it sounded foolish, you know. Yeah. Um, so they heard this uh, without you having mentioned it. Right. Right. <coughs> and she brought it up when we got home. And she, and she told me, you know, so we heard something really weird. Um, the night she heard it, uh, my father woke up in the middle of the night and he heard something messing with his screen. Now your father lives with you. Yeah, my father lives with yeah. me. He's the only bedroom downstairs, and he heard something messing with the screen. Um, our neighbor also heard something um, in his property. He said that sounded real strange, um, and he went outside to investigate what it was. Um, and he wouldn't elaborate on, but he just said it was weird. And um, he since he he's installed uh, surveillance cameras and stuff because of that. Um, you know, our our town has the lowest crime rate in New Hampshire. I mean, it's it's ridiculously. Um, there's, there's nothing that well, goes New Hampshire's on like not that. exactly Fort Apache as, as it is. Right. And the, the, <coughs> and the town town that I live in is, uh, yeah, very, very low crime rate. I mean, yeah. it's in, insane. Um, so, but, you know, just now we get the, the pictures of the lights and stuff above my house last night. Yeah, that's yeah. the disadvantage of the radio. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so... Uh, but I'm going to continue to, you know, set these things out every single night, and I'm also going to be installing um, other surveillance and, and and everything. So, well, we'll look forward to hearing. Uh, now, I must say, and I don't mean to make personal comments, but uh, <clears throat> no, you know, Ben and I have known you almost 20 years now. Worked with you frequently. Never seen you in the slightest bit nervous. <laughs> now, today you come in here and you you, you look like you've had, uh, you know, a gallon or two of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, this is my first coffee right here. Uh, really? Yeah. So um, I don't know. I just—it's very interesting. We uh, we have a cabal of a loop of people whom we um, communicate with. It's kind of an unofficial team, I guess. I don't even like to use that term because it's so silly the way most people use it. A gathering. A, yeah. a gathering, yes, of like-minded people who are well, not necessarily like people who are. There's, there's enough tension in, in, in opinion to to really get you somewhere. Then a think tank. A think tank. Very good, Ben. And uh, we sh- you shared this with all of us. There are about six of us. And um, a couple of big names people would know, uh, particularly in the UFO field. And um, the co- one of the comments came back from uh, one of our good friends. I'll, I'll just say Kathy Martin is, is the one. And she made the point that this, this sort of thing happens to people who are very often researching UFOs. And, and we might add that um, it's it's... Not necessarily researching UFOs as such, but seeing them that mm. really seems to invite this kind of thing. And it's right out of the Mothman scenario of the 1960s in the Ohio Valley of the U.S. Uh, things on people's roofs. People, witnesses who had been children at the time told us as Ben and I were down there in 03, and we've been there since. And it just it's, sounds like something that happens in flap areas. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the question arises: should, should you be concerned for your safety and that of your home? What do you think? Um, no, I mean there's horror stories with, say, with abductions and stuff like that. But I have my own history with that type of thing. But um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't. It, it didn't feel that way. You know, I would feel if I, if I felt 
threatened, it would be, been because there was a you know a peeping tom or a, or a burglar outside. You yeah. know, then I would have been concerned for our safety. But but there's definitely something going on. I mean, I'm definitely I'm not gonna keep my I'm not gonna let my guard down. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I have a nine millimeter that sleeps next to me and. And a German Shepherd, who's a great guard dog, and and um, Hank, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hank. and um, you know our house is secured and and, and everything. So um, you know we'll stay safe. But there's there was definitely something Thursday night that it was just I can't stop thinking about it. You yeah, know, I've seen a lot of strange things in my life. You know the, the amount of cases that we've done, and I've seen a lot of bizarre stuff. But this just it it, it was weird. Like I, I can't explain it. It just you know the. The best way I could explain it is like how people describe um, when they when they witness a black-eyed kid or or a, a men in black, you know. But you know, most of them they say terrorized. You know, they, they I didn't I don't get that way. Yeah. Um, I don't get fearful. But the other thing is just the knowing that what you're looking at is not normal, and and that's the best way I can yeah. explain it. Yeah. Just without you know. Well, without. Ben, that's the story of our lives. We just are. New book just went to press with a whole chapter on humanoids, and we could have used this because Shane features in the book in other ways too. Uh, <clears throat> now, Shane, we uh, as as we always do, we look beyond these cases, and your your number. You're always with us when we do that. Um, this was not the first incident that was odd in your recent history this year. Uh, we understand that you were um, uh, in the course of your day's work, you were at a home, and there was a somebody looking at you from a truck, and uh, took off as soon as you was uh, do I have that right yes it happened twice and it happened um right after I was on a, um, two different popular shows and I I shared the, a photo of um, an alien looking creature and for the the next week after each one of those shows which were I think about a month or two apart um one time I had a, a white SUV um with an occupant and the, the, the other time was a black with a single occupant with strange license plates that they were both the same type of license plate um but one i didn't recognize and i couldn't make out from where i was standing um but one time i was in a building on the second floor um working and um this car was parked outside behind some trees and he was he was looking up at that window i don't know how he knew i was up there you know because it's not like that's where i work every day Mm. it but it was he was definitely there looking at me and and um um, this was, you know, followed by black helicopters over my place of work and o- right over my home. Not last Saturday, um, they were very, they were real low, right above my house. And we don't have that type of traffic up up where I live. Yeah, not at all. I mean, once in a while, Hanscom is somewhat close. Um, you know, it's not real near Hanscom Air Force Base. Um, they'll run drills and stuff. But um, it, it's it since I've been, you know, involved with a, a few of the cases that that i've been what we've been involved with and and i've been talking about normally i just cover the ghost stuff but since i've been talking about um the alien stuff and the ufo stuff and my theories on on such um these things are happening it it only happens like these black helicopters only show up when i talk about it these Mm -hmm. suvs only show up when i talk about it and so put on your hard hat when you go home today you know (laughs) so i wonder why aliens and ufos and not ghosts 
Well, so, sometimes the ghost thing does attract uh, some attention, although not a lot, because of the crossover phenomena, as you might call it. That's why we're working with people like Kathy Marden on, uh, from time to time, on uh, even if it's just consulting on a lot of these cases, because we're running to cases where it's supposed to be a haunted house, where people are seeing grays and funny lights above their houses or, or craft, and uh, Kathy and uh, Denise Stoner, another good friend, will sometimes go into cases and the Somebody said, well, we, we're being abducted and we're seeing these UFOs. And then all of a sudden they get poltergeist activity. Go, You know, the crossover mm-hmm. phenomena that you wouldn't think would be associated with one field or the other exclusively. So that that's when we kind of see. Now, uh, one of the things that kind of comes to mind here, uh, Shane, is when we were <coughs> in our work on the Pennsylvania case, uh, where I'm not going to tell anymore anybody <laughs> other than ourselves when we're going to be there, um, you... We've got a lot of strange things happen, including Bigfoot and that sort of thing, uh, and Ben's going to be with us next time. The incident with the truck in the middle of the night when you were staying down in the problematic clearing or family campground area, could you just review that? Because that sounds, I'm, I don't know if it's related to this, because you don't want to make connections where there are, but you're, you're the sort of person who's very logically thinking and you don't make connections. But everybody listening to this is what it is an interesting occurrence, particularly with the webcam. Yeah, yeah. I should say the trail cam. Yeah, so um, this is the, the trip when you had your sighting. Yeah, um, we were in different parts of the park. Yeah, there was one in, in May and then one in uh, yeah, September. September yeah. Now, I had my sighting of this big black creature um, in May, and then so in September I went back at night and I was staying in a camper at that same location, and I set up a trail cam facing the field in which I saw this big black creature. I figured, you know, you know, it might be a common you know, path for this thing, so I set up a trail cam, um, and I'm watching it, I think it was around 10 o'clock or so at night, I saw lights heading down, and I thought it was you, maybe, maybe you had something happen and, and come down and talk to me. Well, it's uh, happening, but I didn't yeah. go down. <laughs> so, I, I saw, and then I realized the lights are not coming down the path, the lights are in the field through the thin tree line, which is also the property line from one property owner to the other. And the other side was a cornfield. Um, so now they were spotlighting the perimeter. They weren't spotlighting the crop. They were spotlighting the perimeter, and they even spotlighted me right in the face. They drove directly in front of the the, the trail cam. I mean, w- within like 10 or 15 feet, that's how close they were. This trail cam would have been triggered. That, that trail cam caught raccoons that night. It caught uh, plenty of deer. There were all kinds of different movies that it took of, of raccoons and deers mm. throughout the night. So it was working. Um, they were about 10, 15 feet away from this. Spotlighted me. Must have spotlighted my my um, trail cam. It was driving by very slowly. The weird thing about it was it, it looked like a like a Department of Transportation truck. It had a, a round emblem on the door. It had, you know, lights. Um, it was bright orange. And we found out that the owner has a pickup truck that he uses, um, but it's red. And this was not red. This was bright, bright orange with a decal on the side. Um, so in the morning, I was excited. To, I wanted to get this because I knew it just seemed weird to me. I wanted to see, you know, I, was, I wanted to show you. Yeah. So first thing I did was I went up into the main house and um, fired up my laptop, plugged in the trail cam, and it wasn't there. There was no way that shouldn't have been on that trail yeah. cam. Because every morning we go over the pictures. Yeah. You know, and, and then because that morning we went up and, and we found the uh, the trail uh, through the tall grass of the thing I'd seen and that the people on the other side in the house had heard, yep. apparently. So uh, 
very active case. But uh, I just, uh, given trucks and strange men, I, I just thought it might uh, somehow fit into uh, what's happening. Well, um, you will keep, you always keep us posted because we're all part of the same cabal there, mm-hmm. and uh, we're uh, we're with you, buddy, on this. It's. Uh, you know, just we we never have that. Of course, where we live, Ben, we've had strange things, but no, nothing like that. We live in Woonsocket here, but we're up at the edge. It's not rural, but it is a little woodsy. Uh, but we have more neighbors than you do, and uh, yeah, you we, do. We've had people come to the door, uh, yeah, military types, you know, uh, but in utility uniforms, like from the uh, the electric company here, and. Uh, we, we've checked, and they have not been for the electric company. They even had trucks, mm. and they had IDs, but the electric company said they were not with them. So, trying to get into the house. Yep. Um, but we, but again, uh, not quite the same thing. Not, I wouldn't call them men in black. These are men in hard hats and utility uniforms. So, mm. uh, I don't know. So, but um, it, just before we leave the subject, because we're almost halfway through, and we want to get to our um, communications from listeners, but you had a, a rather dramatic. Uh, UFO sighting, and then there was some military activity following that uh, in the Jaffrey area, I believe it was. Uh, that yes. was last year. Yep, last September. That might tie things together if you could uh, review that, and maybe it's all connected. Yeah, so last September, um, I, I, I've been working in Jaffrey, um, New Hampshire, <clears throat> and I was approached by a retired police officer who, um, he's still a young guy, he, he retired young, you know, um, but. He, he also has a second shift job, and he was out walking his, his dog. And he's, he's thinking to himself, wow, the moon's awful bright tonight. And so he finally looks up, and he notices it's not the moon. There's this gigantic, he, well, he said massive, this massive white disc-shaped um, object in the sky. And it was huge. He said it was just so big. And it was in the direction of Hancock and Peterborough, um, in that direction. So... He said the thing was just sitting there, and then all of a sudden, the light went out. It tilted to the side. He said he could see the black silhouette still in the sky against the you know skylight, the sky night, and um, the and then sparks fell from it, and the thing just took off like at a blistering you know speed. So he wasn't the only one that that reported this to me. I started getting reports from all kinds of people, people from Millipore, people uh, in an apartment complex, people from, um, there's a company in in, uh, Jaffrey that employs a lot of people, a lot of those employees, employees of McDonald's that were leaving their shift in the middle of the night. Um, So these are coming from all kinds of people, you know, talking about the same thing that don't know one another. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. like they concocted this together. And they know who I am because my truck's lettered and, you know, and um, everyone knows what I do. So um, it was two days after that. No, no, the following day, I believe it was, there was black military helicopters flying around that town. There was also um, a couple days after that, there was um, there was uh, fighter jets that flew at a very low altitude. I'm talking just above the tree line, and it shook the whole town. They they flew right over to, over Jaffrey, towards Peterborough, over Hancock, the same direction where this UFO was hovering, um, and shot off counter flare countermeasure flares over Hancock and you know alarmed everyone like freaked out about it because you hear these things are out in the, up in the sky you know so it, the funny thing is is um, people called the uh, New Hampshire Air Reserve they said no we had n- nobody in the air um, they called Mass Mass said no we had nobody in the air 
Mass Air Reserve finally retracted that and said, yes, we did. Um, we are doing a, some kind of a thing. Um, but they they did put out an announcement. It wasn't a very good one, but they I forget what channel they used, but they, they did put out one announce, announcement um, that they would be doing some kind of a, a, a thing. But that was it was literally like four hours after this UFO was spotted is when they put out this that this mm. announcement that they would do a flyover. Um, it just didn't set right with me because I continued to see those black helicopters after that as well. Yeah. And then so um, about a week after that, that uh, report came to me, I was driving through my town. And just as I'm approaching my house or my drive, I have a real long drive um, off that road that I live on, there's a knoll over to my right um, and like a big like hill and I noticed something up there it, it was it was silver and it was sh- real shiny real reflective and it was just hovering above that just still right above that uh, that hill next thing I know one shoots up from the background and they're just sitting there together one's moving side to side and then all of a sudden right to the right of those blink just one just appears out of nowhere and they're just sitting there and two of them are moving slightly and just as I'm grabbing my camera and starting to turn it on, that one blinked back out, the other one shot off, and the other one just disappeared too. Jeez. Well, we're coming up on our break, but uh, Sheila from Millville, Massachusetts, wants to know, did anybody else see these UFOs? I think it pretty much answered that. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, we're going to take our break, folks. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and with our special guest host, Shane Searway, today doing an open line show on ON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, broadcasting for 70 years. Congratulations to ON. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Lou Mandeville here to tell you the only place to get your local high school and college scores, as well as the Pats, Bruins, Celtics, and Sox is on my morning sports reports. And they are right here on ON 1240, Monday through Friday on the Morning Fun Show. Okay, well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno today on ON 1240. And our special guest co-host, Shane Searway, uh, telling us about his... We spent the first half hour of the show with some very fascinating information on his recent experiences. And now we're going to go to some of our communications from our listeners here. And uh, these are carried over from the last show. We didn't have time to get to them. But this one is from Crystal, and we don't know where Crystal is from. Right on the top there, Ben. Alrighty, so Crystal writes to us, I became a vegan and my dreams have changed. I have more dreams, and I, uh, I also think I am feeling more paranormal things around me, like uh, presences. Should I be concerned about this, or is this normal? Well, that's something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Not for something completely different. Um, I mean... As someone who was a vegetarian for about seven years, which I'm contemplating going back to it, but it's just because, you know, my my body suffered pretty heavily because I was a very bad vegetarian. There's a good there's a right way to do it and a wrong way, and I did it the absolute wrong way. And um if you uh, essentially most most um why thank you. Uh, essentially most people most spiritual spiritualities, if you really look at it, have some sort of degree of fasting in them. Whether it's any 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 of the four hundred and eighty thousand variations of Christianity you have, or uh, the variations of Hinduism or Buddhism or pretty much anything, there's there's a degree of fasting in there, and the idea is you know you cleanse your body of of um, all these fatty things that supposedly weigh your spirit down or whatever you want to call it. So 
that that's just you know a very mysticized version of it. But I think yes, you know, you clear. There's a lot of there's a lot of hormones and stuff that exist within different forms of meat and poultry that you know aren't necessarily you know naturally occurring. So it's you know it just makes more sense that your body becomes the way it was originally supposed to be. So of course you would you know be more open to stuff. Now I'm waiting for Shane to tell us he became a vegan and then he started seeing all this stuff. <laughs> what, uh... No, but I, I do know that um, even people, remote viewers, you know, that work for the military and stuff like that, and, and other spiritualists and other people that are into to, to that stuff, um, you know, heavily. A lot of them um, are vegans or vegetarian. They stay away from meats, especially approaching a, a you know a time where they have to do a session or, or whatever, um, and they do clean eating and stuff like that. But they they they. It, they say it, it absolutely raises their frequency, you know, their vibrational frequency, so they can tap into some of these. And I, I mean, I, I believe that um, it doesn't it doesn't have an effect on me whether what what I eat. The only thing is alcohol. That's the only thing that would slow me down, you know, in, as far as all that's concerned. Hmm. But I definitely I, I think there's definitely something to that. Well, I'm thinking too, Ben, of your experience after training with the Aztec shaman, uh, our good friend um, from Rhode Island here, who. You would. I've always noticed when working with shaman that there's a lot of stomach upset and nausea very often when they are doing their thing or when somebody touches them. So I always tell people, do not touch even you when you have one of those experiences because you'll get nauseous. But when you stopped eating meat, that didn't happen anymore. Well, the thing is, it never started in the first place because that was after I stopped eating meat. Okay. So there's answer number one. Okay. Uh, number two is I think maybe, but I'm not really sure. You know that that's just the only correlation because Ruben and and, uh, and I would have the same sort of experiences, but he would puke and I would not. So you know the I was like, well, what does he eat differently than I do? And I was like, you know, he eats beef, pork, and chicken and stuff, and, like, I don't. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But mostly, it's not by choice, that's the thing. Sure. I mean, I only just weaned myself onto poultry now. And even then, sometimes that makes me a little nauseous. Hmm. So it's, so it's like, you know, it, it, it's only, it's really only for health benefits. It's not like I, you know, I'm... Oh, sure, sure. Because I'm, I'm still, like, really trying to force myself to, like, do that, and it's kind of, kind of a, a challenge. It's been a challenge for the last, like, six months. So it's, you know, reintroducing stuff to your system is hard. <laughs> well, my uh, paranormal life is not quite as exotic as you guys, but I mean, it's, but it's, uh, you know, you do observe all this stuff and you have experiences. But um, I, I eat uh, regularly. I, I don't uh, eat a lot of red meat, but that's for health reasons. But uh, Crystal asked about dreams particularly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't answer that, did I? Um, well, I noticed after being a carnivore-ish for the last, six months that I've been forget I've been sort of forgetting my dreams or my dreams have gotten weirder like I, I used to have pretty nice like dreams and like even when I was like incredibly stressed out I would still have you know pretty pretty decent dreams now I, I don't <laughs> well that's not exactly true I do but it's just you know it's just it's different I don't I think I think what you do consume does affect how you dream I know for a fact that if you eat peanut butter or a banana before you go to bed it for I, I can't remember what the reason was. I remember someone explaining it to me before, but there was a reason why. But you have like really weird dreams after. There's something in bananas and um, there's so, in like peanut butter that it keeps your brain a- awake. So certain portions of your brain stay on while others go off because essentially sleep 
it, the, there's a chemical in your brain called GABA that gets released and it essentially shuts down different functions of the brain to recharge for the next day. So I should think that uh, bananas and peanut butter would be a staple of uh, the vegan diet. I mean, it is. Yeah, so... I mean, you know, it's high sources of protein and potassium. Yeah. Shane, uh, any further thoughts on that? Yeah, I know it de- definitely affects people's dreams. Um, doesn't seem to really affect mine, but um, what I eat. Um, but I, I do know um, a lot of people where it does. They can't eat certain foods because if they do, they have horrible nightmares, you know. Or <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, I tr- I've tried the peanut butter thing. And uh, I, I have wild, crazy dreams anyway. But the, all, the, all the years... I mean, it's, it's going on 50 years I've been doing this with the paranormal, and I, I never, ever have nightmares. I did in the beginning, but not for many years now. And I was very pleasant, uh, visiting very nice, happy places, that, you know. Mm-hmm. And the peanut butter just... Uh, maybe you're just a very calm person. Yeah, well, you know, whether you're my age, maybe you'll be too. But anyway, yeah, so, yeah I think uh, that's a long answer to Crystal's uh, short question. And yeah, I think this certainly does affect... Dreams and um, vegan, the diet I think would get stuff out of the way, mm. spiritually and uh, other ways too. So, all right. So, what, what, who's next there, Ben? Now uh, that'd be Steve from Needham, Massachusetts. Needham, Massachusetts. Yes. So Steve writes to us. Next time Shane is on your show, please ask him what he means by people, uh, not places, are haunted. Well, you're in luck. There's, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. All right, yeah, so when I say that, I'm, I'm mostly talking about the negative haunts, the ones that are uh, parasitic, and, and those are the ones that we tend to deal with the most because nobody calls you when they have a happy ghost in their house, so um, it's usually the negative ones. And in, in almost a majority of these cases, um, their house that they lived in wasn't always haunted, and it, it only started when something happened in their life, something dramatic or traumatic, that changed their um, emotional state of being, and w- that lowered it, you know, and and then, you know, um, and that kind of connects us to these things. So that's how that's how what attracts them to us, and what connects them: fear, um, you know, negativity, neg- negative emotions. So um, you know, l- like I said, a lot of times people have lived in this house for years and nothing, and then all of a sudden something li- life-altering happened that changed their thinking, changed their emotional frequency. And connected them to these parasites. Um, you know, that's why when they move out, the thing will follow them. Or um, if another family moves into that house, they they never experience anything. Um, we've seen it time and time again. Well, okay, there you go. Um, I I think that uh, don't look now, but there's a case in California now that a woman just called called us last week, and uh, actually she called our casting producer, so it took her there to uh, then she passed it on to us. Um, it sounds interesting. I'm going to talk to her this week, probably bring you in on it. But it sounds like a case where that question would be relevant. You know, mm-hmm. what what changed uh, since they've lived in this house for this to be happening? And it seems like a lot of negative stuff, and we'll get to the bottom of it and keep you in the loop on that. Okay, very good. Uh, ben, any thoughts on that? Um, <coughs> yeah, I, kinda, I, I agree. I have, I, have, yeah, okay. I have no no descending comments. Yeah, yeah, we're not exactly frontline here. We uh, tend to agree. Yeah, uh, <coughs> we've had the same experiences. Uh, what do we got next, Ben? Okay, so we have Michelle from New Rochelle, New York. And she writes to us, uh, I went to see the house where the poltergeist case happened in 1974, uh, that house in Bridgeport. It's tiny. How could all that stuff happen in such a small house? I'm not saying that you were lying about what happened, uh, (laughs) but could you be making a mistake at least about some of it? Also, did the media exaggerate some of the stories? All right, well, first of all, I'm going to ask a 
uh, uh, answer a question with a question is why does the size of a house matter? <laughs> well, it certainly did in this case, and uh, I can speak to that case because I was there. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> As a matter of fact, I'm one of the few surviving witnesses. <coughs> there are several of the police officers who were there with us who are, uh, have spoken about this as well, uh, one or two of, of whom I'm in touch with still. And this goes back, you know, 43 years now. And um, this people often do comment on the size of that. This was a little three-room bungalow. It's the kind of thing you'd see at the beach, mm. uh, like if you had, or, or a lake, if you had a summer cottage or a summer camp, as they call it in other parts of the country. And that really did not seem to make any difference. Uh, we would be in one room, and things would be happening in another. One of the suspicions was that the little girl, Marcy, who was 10 years old, and whom it was my job to kind of watch to make sure she wasn't doing any of these things, um, was um, responsible for this. And the police later came in because the, this had gotten out on the news services and the city was jammed with traffic and people there were uh, literally thousands of people gathered outside the house until the police closed the street and um, the first question you know the, the little kid must be doing some of this well the little kid 10 year old little wisp of a girl uh, could not be throwing around uh, two and three hundred pound refrigerators and uh, chairs le leather chairs tables things that I saw with my own eyes happen and so this uh was uh, the size of the house really does not seem to make any difference. Now, it wasn't just the house. Uh, if I wish I'd known then what I think I know now, as I'm always saying, and uh, when William J. Hall, who wrote a great book on this case uh, called The World's Most Haunted House, came out in 2014, uh, I said, Bill, because he we, that's how we first met. He's been on the show many times. He's part of our cabal here. And uh, he, he uh, interviewed me as one of the surviving witnesses of this. And I said, look at other areas of the city at that point. We didn't know enough to look at neighbors' houses uh, or out, even outside in the yard. I never even went into the backyard. These are things that are relevant in these cases because you find that it's never just one house. It's never just one family. It's always uh, affecting the entire area. And wouldn't you know, uh, today, or at least since 05, we, uh, three of us, have been investigating the uh, what we refer to as the Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut, uh, centered really uh, apparently in Goshen and Torrington area, but it does extend down to the to the coast where Bridgeport is. So uh, arguably, this might have been part of the uh, Litchfield Triangle we didn't know about at the time, and uh, it also included horrible things like like the uh, the Sandy Hook school massacre from 2012. These things are all in the realm of that triangle. So, sure enough, Bill Hall found that other people had stuff going on in other houses, didn't dare say anything because of the press attention to this, and all these things were going on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't make any difference. I mean, uh, police officers, firefighters, we, we were in one room, things had happened in another. Uh, on several occasions, things happened right, right while we were standing there, such as the refrigerator floating. So the size of the house didn't make any difference, and it seemed to be uh, an overwash into other areas as well. There was an uptick in UFO sightings, but in those days, especially the early 70s, people didn't know enough to bring these things together and to put them in the same list of, of statistics. So that's really the best way I can answer that question. But um, did the press exaggerate? That's a good question. Uh, 
Ed Warren did what I never do, and that's he always invited the media in, the, the, the local media all knew him, uh, the state media knew him, and some of the national media knew him even then. And <clears throat> in they came, we had network reporters from New York, which wasn't that far away, uh, CBS, NBC, and ABC, which were the only three networks at the time, long before cable. And uh, they were coming in, they wanted to know if the cat could really talk, and all this business. And uh, that story, I think, was exaggerated. I don't, the cat could not talk, uh, despite the testimony of the family. Uh, I think the little girl was doing that, but I guess she loved the attention. But as far as uh, the press coming in, I, I, I didn't. There was uh, some exaggeration, but you know, I, I always—I'll uh, never get over this. And people always look at me when I say this. But the only newspaper that really got it right was the National Enquirer. <laughs> of all things, I give the, the, the reporter came in. He spent time. He sat down with us. And he really got, I still have the article to this day, and, and <laughs> of all papers, they got it right. Wow. That's actually really funny. And I'll, I can think of that line, because one of the movies I've seen was uh, Men in Black, and they would pick up the rap sheets. Mm. But the new guy, and of course, included the National Enquirer, so they even, maybe they're not wrong about that, because I, I'll, I'll never get over that. But I, I didn't see, uh, <clears throat> there was... Uh, I read a lot of secondhand stuff in the media. Uh, one of the things that really got exaggerated was the book. Okay. Now the book uh, supposedly was written in Sanskrit. Was a book which is an, an Indian language uh, from India, and the little girl supposedly was carrying this book around, and uh, it was a book about the occult, and the kid was obsessed with the occult. That was all over the media. That was wrong. I know that because I owned the book. And it was not a Sanskrit book. It was written half in English and half in Church Slavonic. It was a Russian Orthodox prayer book. And uh, some, I could just uh, some member of the press or some police officer just happened to see it. Had that funny three-barred cross on the front. They didn't know what it was. They opened it up and they see this weird language on one side, in English on the other. Aha! Must mm. be a cult. Aha! Must the kid's carrying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. This is what happens. And for forty uh. years, this gets exaggerated. So. Uh, that w- if there was anything uh, exaggerated, and there were a few things, uh, that had to be probably the worst. Hmm. And aha, uh, all to blame the kid because she was interested in the account, which she was not. Hmm. You know, so so that's just one example. So um, that's I hope that answers your question. And uh, what do we got next, everybody? We have Amit from Chula Vista, California. What's the first name? Amit. Amit. Oh, Amit. Is uh, Amit Goswami? No. Well, yes. Hmm. Spell it, please. A M I T. Okay, as in Dr. Ramakaswamy. It's yeah, not, that's not who it is, but he's a guest in a few weeks. What, whatever. For the same name. I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> he writes to us. I'm I'm really into family histories, especially when it comes to the paranormal. It really grabs my attention to find out that you guys descend from the great Native American shaman Hyano, who Hyannis, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod, is named after. A very powerful guy. I do not remember if you mentioned this on your show or if I just heard. Well, it how somewhere. did he know it? <laughs> We, that's pretty weird. Sure, pretty sure we did. Uh, could this have anything to do with your interest in the paranormal? There's more. There's a other question after that, but if you'd like to take that first. All right. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, our family tree is uh, a hobby of mine and a cousin. We started researching it in the 19, early 1970s. And uh, there was... It's it's a long story. That's Most of it isn't relevant. But there was a... Uh, there, there's We had an ancestor known as the Gypsy who came from England, like most, like all our other people did, and to New England here. And my theory is that he, he might have been real gypsy and was kind of dark-skinned and maybe fit in more with the natives than he did with the English. And that's where there was a marriage uh, between one of the 
I, I can't remember exactly who it was, I don't want to say, but it was one of the the native women, and there's a descent from there, but, but she was, I guess, the daughter or granddaughter of Haino, mm-hmm. who was a, a great uh, Wampanoag shaman, I believe, uh, on the well-known among all the tribes on the East Coast even before the English got here. And uh, the city of Hyannis City, a town of Hyannis, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod, is named for him. There's even a statue of him in the center of the town, and he's honored there for that. So uh, I don't know much more about him except that he was a, a well-known shaman. But, yeah, th- this stuff does descend in families. But, you know, we're talking about the 1600s here. That's a, that's a, that's a bunch of generations. That's five, five for me, five generations, probably six for you, Ben. Um, and more for most people because we don't have children until we're in our 50s, most of us. So, um, yeah, but it does run in families. Um, I remember in California I was speaking, this is before your time, Ben, uh, in San Diego, and there was a, a woman in the audience, and it's just something just kept drawing my attention to her. You know, I mean, it wasn't that she was particularly attractive, but just that there was some kind of energy there. And after the lecture she came up and said um, you would because I was talking about parasites and how sometimes they will follow families and one of the reasons I mentioned it was because I felt that she had an attachment there and she said sure enough she was from an old Italian family that had been in Southern California for generations and she said yes it's true uh, there has been what we would call a parasite literally following and farming the family for generations and she said in addition to that they had a lot of "Quote unquote psychic gifts. Uh, they considered the, all the women were mediums, uh, so they considered themselves, and they would do this, that, and the other. So it kind of went together, and it did run in the family. So I think that uh, whether our interest is because of our ancestor Hyena, we had a far more ancestors who weren't interested in it. Although we are direct descendants of Nicholas Disborough, who was accused of witchcraft in Hartford, Connecticut, in the 1640s. Mm. Um, all these things go into me. We, we are the sum." Of our ancestors, you know, Shane. Any thoughts on that? And your family, because you, you have Native American descent as well. Yeah, and so there's an interest on my mother's side, which is my Native American side, and that's where I get that from from my mother. But my mother was uh, very interested in, the, you know, the paranormal type stuff. Um, she dabbled in it for a while. I don't think she does much with it anymore, but um, but she did for for years. And and um, I don't know a lot lot more on that side. I just know what she told me, you know. Um, but I don't know. I, too many of my relatives on her side before my grandfather who's native american um her her father by the time we found out where he was living because he kind of disappeared when she was young we finally found where he was at but he had we had just missed him he had died from cancer um so but i don't know too much about my family other than there was a strong interest there well it's funny because they, i don't know benny any more thoughts on that um no you pretty much said everything i was thinking well one thing I've noticed too, as as one spirituality develops, you find that there is a, an attachment and, and a bond with the land, you know. And Haino was an, a New England native. Um, we're tenth generation New Englanders ourselves, and we feel a bond with this land somehow, particularly in southern New England and Cape Cod, and and uh, and, uh, and a lot of my maternal uh, paternal ancestors. From other lines came from Cape Cod and, and Nova Scotia, and, and you know this, we, we were sea people, you mm-hmm. know, and there's a real bond there. Um, before we left our home in Cumberland, Rhode Island, I had a pretty much go through like almost a withdrawal period because I was so 
attached to that land. Now, now we bonded with, with Winsocket here. But they, that, that is uh, something that you do here. So there's, know, more, there's more of the question, by the way. Yeah, so let, let's. Let, I think we have time to deal with. Well, you, you pretty much answered most of it. The um, essentially it was he continued on. I know psychic abilities are supposed to run in families in the Roma or Gypsies. Put a lot of stock in that. Uh, do you find paranormal interest? runs in families too also paranormal experiences I remember you saying that parasites can follow families for generations well that's funny he mentions gypsies I didn't know that was in that question and here's here I'm talking about the supposedly gypsy ancestor yeah well, that, well, that's a little bit of a synchronicity <laughs> there. So, no, yeah, um, you know, yeah. All right, well, okay, well, Proud or whatever. That, that can't count as a <laughs> so, answer answer the fine man's question. Oh, okay. Well, essentially, uh, yeah. I, I think again, the the uh, the psychic abilities and all this, and that, particularly the shamanic abilities, uh, descend through families. Now, now the shaman you worked with, Ben Rubin, um, he would he was talking very frequently. He was a full blooded Aztec. And he turned up here in Rhode Island, strangely enough. But Aztec, of course, um, from Mexico, and he was uh, his his mother had been. I, I guess uh, I'm not sure exactly what his ancestry was, but it was. He from, dated from all the way Aztec. back to um, uh, Montezuma, I think. Yeah, really. I mean, it's pretty pretty impressive. You don't often see that. But his family were shamans and were sensitives, and uh, y- you and he clicked right away. Well, he said it, it, he was like, well. And he's like, no one. He's like, no one could just do it, you know. He's like, it has. To, it has to be in the blood. Mm. Like, oh, well, that's oh, a good point okay. because <laughs> we often hear from people, and a lot of times they want to be on the show, and they say, "Well, I'm a shaman." Okay. Now we have had one or two on. Uh, I wish I could remember his name, but he was a Peruvian, you know, real deal. Had lived with shaman. His ancestors were shaman. I mean, that to me, you know, you've got the blood. Uh, if this Hino thing means anything. Maybe we've got it, but I mean, we, we don't pretend to be shamans. But there are people who just read read a book, or mm. will go to a couple of classes, t- take a course, and uh, all of a sudden they're shaman. I mean, that's not how it works. I know no. you have some thoughts on that, Shane. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you don't. You almost. It's like you got no choice. It's it's it's. Um, you're, yeah. you're that's what Ruben said. Yeah, yeah, you don't really have a choice. Yeah. Like I, I had an interest in the paranormal since I was young, but it was be- because of all the experiences I was having. That's what fascinated me and interested me and wanted me to understand more. This stuff was just happening. I don't have a choice. Um, I, this is part of me, and, and I'm connected. And there's nothing I can say about it. But and I think the reason why it runs in families is in it, well, it's it's all. Energy, vibration, and frequencies, and that's what connects us, and that's what makes certain people more sensitive than other people, um, and and um, and that that certainly could be genetic, you know. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, we're just about out of time. We got a lot of announcements here, so we'll get started on that. Uh, our newest new book, Behind the Paranormal: Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, is now available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle, and we should have copies available for sale at our next event, uh, which is next Saturday, uh, which we'll tell you about in a minute. All right, so that's our second book in six months. We're on a roll, Ben. And now we know how they all do it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can't get one of your one of our events, or get to one of our events, I should say and would still like an autographed copy of our book, uh, or any of them, really, uh, you can go online to our bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com, and we will sign copies and send them out to you. Now, our old new book, uh, the 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. 
It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. And again, you can get an autographed copy from uh, the website BehindTheParanormal.com. Just go to our, our bookstore uh, link. So next Saturday, that's uh, June 17th, we'll be back at the at the delightful Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore and Cafe in Webster, Massachusetts, right here in our listening area for a presentation on what's really behind the paranormal. And uh, that will be at 1 p.m. Copies of our uh, two latest books will be available for sale and signing. And uh, all, the, all my books, too, will be there. So uh, Deb over there the ones that runs a great place. Uh, you can get uh, baked goods, coffee, and sit and enjoy uh, the books there. Wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, then the following Saturday, June 24th, we'll be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut, where we will do something we've never done before, and that's a presentation specifically for young people aged 7 to 14 years of age. Uh, the program is Monster Hunters, a cryptozoology workshop with Paul and Ben Eno. It will also be the official release event for the book we just mentioned, Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. Actually, the title of that, we kind of tweaked it, Behind the Paranormal 2. So there wouldn't Electric be any confusion with number one. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's in there. Uh, that'll be available for purchase and signing. Um, On Thursday, uh, July 27th, uh, we'll be presenting our program, What's Really Behind the Paranormal, at the uh, Prospect Senior Center in Prospect, Connecticut, at 1 p.m., and that is open to the public. Okay, uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, September 3rd and 4th, which is not that far away, will once again find us at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire with a lot of other great speakers. Uh, it's a terrific annual event that benefits, lo- benefits local children's charities, and we're not char- sure about our topic yet, and we'll let you know uh, that's sponsored by the Kiwanis Club of Exeter. Great, great folks. And other appearances uh, this fall will be at the Brandywine Living Center. In uh, Litchfield, Connecticut, the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts, the Hudson Valley UFO Conference in Danbury, Connecticut, and a program at the Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire in October. Now, in November, <coughs> we'll speak at the Para-Unity Conference in Felsmere, Florida. Uh, so watch uh, for more information on that. That was originally scheduled for August, but it will be uh, in November, which we're very grateful for because I don't like Florida in August. Uh, new events are being added frequently, uh, so check BehindTheParanormal.com or our show Facebook page for updates. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files. Where does that stand there, Ben? Working on it. Okay. It's a work in progress, Dad. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not saying just that people are griping. But anyway, we got to three, <laughs> three videos on there now, and uh, you can enjoy those until the time comes. So meanwhile, again, uh, find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, where you'll find over 700 free, and now, uh, well, more than 700 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 here and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, uh, and um, along with special shows and podcasts, and that's, that site's being redesigned, but again, they're all free. Uh, Shane, tell us about your site and where people can find out more about you. TrueGhost.com, T-R-U-E-G-H-O-S-T.com. That's uh, my contact information is there and a little bit about myself, and um, that's where you can go. Okay. And, uh, Shane, you um, uh, do not hesitate to contact Shane. He's very uh, open and willing to, uh, to and is very uh, happy to help. Okay. I want to point out just a couple of other books that are available uh, that I contributed to, uh, and those are published by Global uh, Publishing, Global Communications, which is a uh, wonderful company run by our good friend Tim Beckley. And uh, Tim has published UFO Repeaters. You can find that on Amazon. We should definitely talk about our next show, Dad. Yes. Okay, let's talk about our next show. We'll leave you hanging on that last one. Whatever. So on Sunday, June 11th, we'll welcome Dr. Alan Botkin for a discussion about induced and after-death communication as a form of therapy. 
Interesting. Uh, we leave you this afternoon with a thought from American author H. Jackson Brown. The best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Sarway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.